So I'd like to um, explore our practice a little bit more. Um, I'm going to primarily going to be talking about metta, but actually uh, everything I'm going to say is relevant to, to all the immeasurables, to each of them um, and to all of them um, as they kind of come together, as they uh, support and interweave with each other. And one really important beginning that I'd like to emphasize, which is something we've said, we've been saying throughout, but I really want to emphasize it with, uh, with metta. We can kind of see metta uh, happening at least in two ways when we're on retreat. Yeah, one is the formal practice that we started engaging with today. Um, and the other is just that intention or that attitude of kindness that we're weaving in, yeah, both to uh, our mindfulness practice and to our way of being. And they're both, uh, they both have equal importance. But it, it, I found it really helpful in my, in my practice to see, um, to see the two, to see the two aspects. And I just want to check that that makes sense to people. I don't want to confuse you so early on in the talk. I'm planning to do it later. <laughs> Kidding, of course. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm kind of emphasizing this because, again, in my practice, I've found this is useful because sometimes um, one aspect of the metta practice, the, the formal practice maybe, will have more momentum, will have more juice, will have more interest. Uh, and at other times, um, it's more the leaning into the metta as an attitude that we bring in towards our experience. That can be more helpful or more useful or just have more, uh, more juice in it, more fruition in it. And so it's kind of just helpful to know that they're both there and that that kind of means we can always connect to this in some way. Yeah, we may be going through, you know, some difficulty or a lot of confusion uh, or doubt. And then just that sense of, okay, well, what would be a meta attitude right now, even if it feels too much to work with the phrases right now or more helpful to work with something else? And what would be kindness? What would, what, what would that be right now? Yeah. Or what would compassion, you know, that's part of why we have the four, <laughs> is that sometimes one of them uh, will be more accessible. Yeah, what would compassion feel like, look like, bring in right now? What would equanimity, a sense of balance, of groundedness, what would that bring in? So we can, yeah, we can bring that in, we can try them on for size. And see, see what works. That's what we're interested in. And all of that, I hope that's clear, um, you know, all of that has metta in it already. Right? When we have that interest to see what would kindness, what would compassion, what would they look like? What would they feel like? How would they manifest right now with this set of circumstances that I'm um, being offered by life? That's arising. So 
So as we, we open to explore, and as um, Jenny was saying this morning, um, the real encouragement with these practices is to try them on, yeah, to try them on for size, to work with them, and to also give ourselves permission to explore. Yeah. So here are the practices. They've been um, around these particular ones for about 1,600 years, as far as we know. <laughs> since they were written down. Um, but also, here's the humanity uh, in this particular heart, mind, and body. And how do those come together? Yeah. So that encouragement to explore and to see the effect. Yeah, To be interested in, ah, when I do this, what happens? And someone left a beautiful question today that will be probably um, responding to the rest of the retreat, you know, how do the Brahma Viharas uh, support the cultivation of insight? So this is one way, you know, when we, we notice uh, what is possible, and then we notice what is the effect, and then we learn from that, and we see more deeply through that. So I just wanted to touch on some openings or some seeing, some clarity, some ways of looking that metta can open up for us. Uh, and you may have already experienced this in your own way, and this may also unfold over time. And I, I think one of the words that I um, associate with, with the Brahma Vihara practices the most is resource. I find them incredi an incredible resource. And so when a metta is present or a metta is available, um, in my experience, it's uh, a resource to feel more at ease with what is unfolding in my experience. Yeah. And can be just that simple. More ease or less sense of problematic with what is unfolding within my experience, which doesn't mean that my experience is pleasant or what I want. Yeah. But when metta is present, there's more ease. Uh, we can say uh, sometimes, I can feel more safe, yeah, or more seen or more held uh, when, when I can access that attitude or the practice. And metta is also a resource to see others or other really with this, <laughs> more fully. Yeah. In the same way that it's a resource for me to feel more uh, ease with what is present, also opens me up to see another with a wider perspective. Yeah. Not just what's appearing right now, but to see, ah, you know, this other, whoever he, she, they are. They also have a story. They're also conditioned. They're also impacted. And metta and the other Brahma Viharas, they're also a resource to see beyond self and other. Yeah. And they're a resource to see beyond self and other, beyond me and you. 
to see our interconnection, to see our mutuality, um, and to see kind of the insubstantiality of our separateness. Yeah, uh, it's not not as real as we take it to be. Yeah, so seeing through that sense of self and others, which is. I think in our tradition, pretty deep on the insight scale, <laughs> you know, when we can get a sense of that, when we can see that to some degree. And I'm going to give examples, so hopefully I won't succeed in my mission to confuse you. Let's see. So another way of saying what I've just said is that um, that metta, the Brahma Vihara practices, they're like Again, this is my experience. They're like a breathing space, you know, like a breathing space that just gives us time, space, groundedness to uh, see more clearly what is going on. Um, and they lead through that to insight. And the insight leads to appropriate response, which is what we're interested in. At least I am. <laughs> I think we all are yeah. interested in appropriate response. So I want to give an example of this, which is, is as some of my examples tend to be, not exactly an everyday situation, but I find that sometimes, um, yeah, this, these, these examples can highlight some of the, of the aspects of the teachings. So this is uh, an experience from quite a few years ago um, in Palestine when um, we were there uh, during the olive harvest and uh, working with some farmers, Palestinian farmers, supporting them to harvest their olives. Um, and we were working quite close to a Jewish settlement. And often when Farmers have land which is close to settlement, in a settlement certainly, but even close to the settlement fence, they need per special permits to, to access uh, that land. And um, in this case, this was an unusual case where we were very close to the settlement, but for whatever reason, they didn't need a permit. So um, we were working there and we knew that was verified. It wasn't um, just trusting the farmers who were very honest, but also we have connections to other NGOs that have that kind of information. So they get the military maps that show permits and non-permits and all kinds of separation stuff like that. So we were working in the olive harvests with this uh, lovely family. And at some point, and maybe I'll just say often when you're in the olive groves in Palestine, you completely forget where you are. It's so peaceful <laughs> and so connected and so beautiful, you know, with these beautiful old trees and, um, you know, lovely families and, you know, good food and lots of coffee, <laughs> you know, all of that. And you're kind of just in that rhythm of agricultural work of plop, 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 the olives fall down on the plastic sheets and you're in that rhythm. And then suddenly um, out of the trees appear three soldiers 
um, dressed completely in combat gear. So they're having kind of camouflage stuff on them and they're carrying um, their communication devices and of course guns and it's come completely like, what? <laughs> you know, just seems completely surreal. And they were on patrol, they were doing their patrol. And they came up to us and uh, they said, you know, who's, who's in charge here? Um, they spoke to the, to the farmer and they said to him, you're not allowed to be here. And he explained to them that he, he was, you know, he didn't need a permit. And they said, no, no, you absolutely need a permit. You're next to the fence. And he explained again that he didn't need a permit, but they were very certain, yeah, that he needed one and that he should leave. And so uh, that's when uh, I got involved, since I'm Israeli and I speak the language and I know the culture. It's e easier for me. Um, and I said to them, no, he, he really doesn't need a permit. Yeah. And they were, no, he absolutely does. <laughs> you can see the, imagine the situation. Um, and just to say, as you might be feeling for yourself, in this kind of situation, the barriers can very easily go up, right? The, we'd say the non-meta appears. And, you know, with the sense of the injustice and all of that just come up. Staying really rooted and grounded in, in the sense of metta, um, at that point, primarily to myself, right? Because this is distressing, and to the family I was with, it's much more distressing for them, even than it is for me. But there's metta as a resource to find some ease. The first thing I said, to find some ease within a difficult situation. You losing me? Yeah, okay. Is this better? And um, so then I, I picked up my phone and I called the, the NGO that we were in contact with to say, look, this is the situation. Have you heard of any change? Because sometimes things change. And they said, no, we haven't. We'll double check. We'll phone you back. So I said to the soldiers, look, you know, yeah. And I checked with the farmers. We're not going until we hear back from our contacts. And all nicely, politely, friendly, um, until we hear back from our contacts. Uh, because as far as we know, we, we, we can be here. And they were happy to agree to that. Um, and we waited. And so here's the situation. So on one side are the farmers, the, the family, and then there's the soldiers. And then we're kind of, the Israeli and international volunteers are kind of in the middle and we're all sitting there waiting. Yeah, so great opportunity to practice. Yeah, great opportunity to practice. Sitting there and waiting and just kind of staying open, noticing what's going on in the environment. And I could see um, the soldiers getting restless. So I walked over and I said to them, you know, if you wanted, you could phone your commanders and check with them. That might be faster, yeah, because my contacts are going to do the same thing. This might be a direct link. And they kind of fell into it. Everything, it felt like everything was slowing down, yeah. So in the beginning, it was very fast. You need to go. But now here we are. We're sitting. We're slow. We've slowed down in the situation. And so they, yeah, they said, okay, sure. 
and they got into, you know, they had this communication stuff on their back that they could use. They got in touch and their people they contacted will check and we'll get back to you. And as they finished that, they looked up and they really looked at the family. That was the, it felt to me like one of the first times that they were actually looking and seeing. And they could see that there was um, some sadness in the family and they could feel, you know, their sense of, uh. and so they said to me, oh, tell them that they can carry on working until we hear yeah, what's going on. Tell them that they can carry on working. And I said, I, you know, you're welcome to tell them if you want. I can do it, but you're welcome. But um, I'm not sure they'll want to because they're upset. Yeah, it's a kind of a big deal. And they're upset, they're uneasy. Yeah, it's again, seeing more looking. As he can feel the compassion coming in. Do you, can you feel it? The compassion comes in where it doesn't usually flow. Yeah, that becomes possible. So the metta here is a resource to see the humanity of another in, in multiple layers. Yeah, multiple layers. I see the humanity of the soldiers and that's how I respond to them. And then with time they see the humanity of the Palestinians and that's how they respond to them. Compassion comes in, starts flowing in the system. And metta also, this is really important, is the courage to speak the truth. Yeah, to say, well, look, they're uncomfortable. Yeah, this is a big deal for them. Yeah, this metta is there supporting speaking the truth. It's not a, um, you know, metta is, is a strong quality. It's not just all kind of lovey-dovey. Yeah, it's strong. It's got power. So to speak the truth without blame, without hatred, without enmity, but to speak the truth. And so finally, we're still all sitting there in that constellation and the soldiers get the, the message, yeah, the call on their communication device saying, no, it is okay, they can they can carry on and work and work there. They don't need a permit. And I could see the face of the soldier as he was receiving the message. He was happy. Yeah, he was happy. And as they came and, and said to the farmers, no, it's okay, we made a mistake. Yeah. They were happy. That that was the resolution. So joy comes in as well in the joy of another. Yeah. The third Brahma Vihara comes in, joy in the joy of another. And so metta as a resource to see beyond self and other, to see beyond the roles, beyond the uniforms, yeah, beyond the Israeli Palestinian, yeah, whatever it is that we find ourselves in, it can break through that in a situation, yeah. When we have the possibility, when we have that breathing space, where we can stop and we can attend and we can attend to what needs attending. So sometimes, as I said, for me, it has to be this first. Because if I'm very distressed, I'm not gonna be able to act. Necessarily 
appropriately to find the appropriate response. But if I'm rooted in metta, if I have that ease or that some degree of ease with the compassion, with some would say the fire of the injustice, they're there and they support that. But that metta holding opens up a deeper possibility to see beyond self, self and other, yeah, for all of us to a degree. So bringing metta in, yeah, remembering that practice, bringing that in as an attitude or we can say as a way of relating to our experience, to ourselves, to our experience, um, you know, to, to other people, to situations, yeah, is something we can do, yeah, something we can do. Does that make sense to people? Yeah. And it can help to remember that we're always relating to our experience in some way. Yeah, we've been saying that in different ways. There's always a way of relating that's there to experience. Always. And that way of relating shapes our perception. It shapes what we see. It shapes um, our sensitivity to what is possible. And the ways of relating that are normally at play are habitual to us, okay? They'll be our habits of attention, yeah? Uh, Our habits of mind, our mind states, our views, our expectations, yeah? A few people touched on it today, you know? If I have an expectation that a retreat will be like this, whatever that this is, that can shape my perception, that can shape my experience. Yeah. If I have an expectation or a view, the retreat is going to be like this, different. That can shape my experience in a different way. So there's always ways of relating at play and they shape our experience. They shape our perception of experience. And this is something we all know. Yeah. We all know this. Um, you know, when you're angry, or you haven't slept well. What does the world look like? A happy place? Or not so much? And when you're feeling relaxed and spacious and well rested, if we kind of keep that same theme, what does the world look like? Yeah, what does a particular happening look like? Yeah, when we're feeling quite self-centered, yeah, quite self-concerned, how does that shape our experience? When we're more aware of the presence of others and the needs of others, how does that shape our experience? Do you see what I'm talking about? This is this is a really important part. I keep saying that. <laughs> Not getting many nods. All right. 
If, if it's not clear, then please stop me. I, I, I'm kind of going to take that risk um, because I, I, want to, I want to kind of flow together through this material. So we know for ourselves, yeah, that different mind states, different expectations, different views, yeah, which I'm calling ways of relating yeah, to experience, they affect how we perceive things. Yeah, how we perceive things. When we can remember that, that can be a tremendous insight, a tremendous doorway to freedom. Okay, if I can remember there's a way of relating to experience right now, and that's shaping my perception. I can be interested in, oh, what is that way of relating then? And how is it shaping my experience? And through practice, we become more aware of our habits, yeah, how we relate, how we tend to relate to our experience. And we also become sensitive to how different ways of relating impact our perception. So just to give a few examples of that from your own practice today, not mine, also mine actually, by the way. You know, has anyone had moments of challenge today in your meditation practice? This is the California style, raise your hand. Okay, uh, have any of those included sleepiness? Mm, quite a few. Have any of those included restlessness? Yeah, I had that one. Uh, has anyone, has any of them included um, desire for something else than what was there? Like a quiet mind for once, or a body without pain? Anyone had that? Desire. Um, did anyone, any of them include aversion to what was present? Yeah, usually desire and aversion come together. Yeah. So these arise. Did anyone experience confusion, doubt, a sense of what the hell am I doing? Who are these teachers at the front? They seem to not know what they're doing at all. You don't need to raise your hand for that one. <laughs> Give you a pass. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah. So these moments, these um, experiences arise yeah, for us and we tend to believe them. Yeah, and they shape, they color our experience. Yeah, right now, all we see is aversion or restlessness or that dullness of the tiredness, the drowsiness, yeah, or that momentum of the desire or that real sense of getting lost in the confusion and the doubt. Yeah. But they are, in actuality, habits of mind, yeah? and they are ways of relating to our experience. Yeah. We had the full spectrum in the groups today, at least in mine, and I had quite a few in my own practice. Yeah. They arise. They arise. They're human. Nathan touched on them yesterday called hindrances in the tradition. And it's really helpful to remember these are manifestations of the human mind. They arise. They're not personal. Yeah, they're not who I am. And they color our perception. Yeah, they color our perception. We forget that they are there 
and we see through them and they color what we see, they color experience. And they narrow, when they're present, our perspective really narrows down, yeah? And we get a sense that this is what is there, yeah? Really strong with that spectrum of tiredness to restlessness. Yeah, it feels like there's nothing there but that like nodding of the head or the dullness of the mind. Or there's nothing there but that agitation. That's all there is. And we can actually meet these ways of relating with metta, with compassion, with humor, yeah, and with skill. Yeah, we can meet them. There's ways of relating to these ways of relating. Yeah, and this is another one of the great, beautiful secrets of our practice. Not only is there a way of relating, there's a way of relating to the way of relating. <laughs> and a way of relating to the way of relating to the way of relating. You know, there's always an access point. Always. We're never, you can feel like we're up against a brick wall down a dead end. But actually, there's always something we can do to increase the space and to find the appropriate response. So I just want to give some examples with these particular hindrances um, because uh, they're so common. Yeah, they arise and often doesn't matter. I can't speak for everyone here. I certainly have been practicing God knows how long. I think it's getting to 25 years and they still arise. So they arise yeah, for all of us uh, in different ways, for most of us. I won't say all because there may be people here that are free of them. So with, I'm just going to give a few kind of little uh, possibilities. Yeah? So when desire arises, when there's that sense of wanting something different than what is here, a real support can be gratitude. Yeah? Actually noticing what is here that is good enough. Yeah? Can I rest in, what in whatever is here right now that is good enough? The fact that I'm still breathing. Yeah, and people were touching on great examples today. The fact that there's going to be a meal in X amount of hours. Yeah. The fact that we have these amazing giants on the lawn. Yeah. And we can go and receive deep teachings from, from the trees there. Yeah. So, you know, we can open to what, what is good enough in this moment that can be a real support not to we're not pushing away any of these when they arise yeah but we're opening up the perspective as a reminder yeah the way of relating to the way of relating is it's not just this yeah it's not just this that's there so desire gratitude or appreciation for whatever is here can be really helpful um, aversion, any kind of aversion, irritability, um, metta, and compassion. Yeah, for whatever, yeah, in whatever way you can bring those in. Yeah, for yourself, for the rabbits, um, just tuning into that attitude of kindness. Those fluctuations of energy from too little energy, the dullness, the tiredness, to too much energy, the restlessness. Um, if there's too little energy generating energy through interest, and we touched on it yesterday with the questions, ways of doing that, yeah, breathing in a way that brings energy, yeah. being interested 
And how can I breathe in a way that brings energy? Opening the eyes brings energy. Um, and we can incorporate metta into that. Yeah. So energy infused with metta, with kindness. We can incorporate that into it. And similarly, um, when there's too much energy in the system, yeah, and there's a lot of agitation and restlessness, we can um, increase and open up the space. What happens in those situations, um, and most situations that we find unpleasant, is that the space really contracts, and there's a small space with a lot of activity in it, a lot of resistance. So anything that supports opening up the space. It can be opening up the awareness into the whole body. It can be opening to sound. Um, it can be opening the eyes as you practice. Again, that can be really useful just to open up the space. So we remember it's not just this, not just this. And this overactivation of energy, just to mention, can also manifest in a lot of thinking, sometimes for some of us. So also um, skillful attending to thinking, increasing the space, having a sense of groundedness and allowing the thinking to happen without taking it personally. So practice, this is the big thing you learning in this retreat, is not about shutting down the thoughts. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Because it comes back again and again to us. Yeah, that, that expectation and if I'm thinking, then I'm not doing the practice properly. But it's about changing the relationship, not getting stuck into the thoughts. So increasing the space and grounding can really, really support that. And the common thing to all these uh, ways of relating to the hindrances, ways of relating to the ways of relating, just a few common threads to all of them. Yeah, the gratitude, the metta and compassion, uh, the, the bringing in energy, opening out the space, not believing the thoughts. Common to all of them is first of all, recognizing that they're present. Yeah, ah, there's, and it can be specific. Yeah, there's desire here and it can be just okay. There's a way of relating here right now that is not helpful. Yeah. Sometimes they come together and it can be quite a, a mishmash to try and navigating th navigate through. So just a sense of, ah, there's a way of relating here that isn't very wholesome, that isn't very supportive. Just recognizing that. And then allowing that this is here right now. And allowing doesn't mean that we agree that this is going to be here for the rest of our lives, okay? This is an important distinction. Just allowing that right now this is here and I need to relax my resistance. Yeah, my resistance to this is feeding that energy, whatever it is. And then bringing interest and exploration, playfulness into relating to that way of relating and holding it all in a field of metta. Yeah. Holding it all in the field of metta. In that field of metta, which is about, we're here as an act of kindness towards ourselves. Yeah. So this is an opportunity ha to learn that, to learn that and to bring that more into being.
And so one primary thing that's changing there, yeah, we're changing the way of relating because we're actually turning towards something that habitually we turn away from. Yeah, turning towards something that habitually we turn away from. It's a very significant. Yeah, we usually turn away from what we don't like, and here we're actually saying, "Okay, okay, agitation and restlessness. I see you, and you're allowed to be here, and I'm interested. Yeah, I'm interested." in relating to you in a way that's wholesome. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.